there's a pastor, a friend of mine, who, who was talking about one of the measures that he uses about how successful, successful is the wrong word, but, or let's use impact. One of the measures he uses um, to measure the impact his church is making on the local community is this, that if um, his church was to decide for whatever reason, that's it, we're done, we're closing up shop, we're walking away, would anybody notice? Would anybody be happy? Would anybody be sad? Would they notice at all that the church was open in the first place and it now closed its doors? And uh, I, that became, has become quite a compelling thought or question for me. It, it, even though we've only been open, you know, we've opened the doors now two terms, we're, we're, we're coming into our third term now. If, if we were, as a church, to say, do you know what, we've given this a good crack. I mean, we could never say that. It's only been two terms. But if, you know, <laughs> so we, did, we gave it our best shot. We've been in it the long haul. That's it, we're done. No, if, if we were to say, you know, after, you know, after two terms, that's it. You know, we've given it a good go. We're going to close up the doors. Would anybody notice? Would anybody in Feltham have even noticed that we'd open the doors in the first place? Would they be happy that we've left? Would they be sad? Would it elicit any sort of response whatsoever? I, I suspect it probably would, mostly because we've got some terrific orange T-shirts and some stellar barbecuists amongst us, but... Um, it is an, it's a good question. It's an interesting question to ponder, isn't it? Because in Acts, when you read through what goes on in, at the beginning in, 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 in these first four chapters of Acts, um, the church is causing a scene. They are making a, a disturbance. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that didn't notice that something was going on amongst the, the early church. Um, because there were, there were like ripples and noise and commotion going on everywhere. It kind of followed the church around. And this is what we read um, in our passage today. So if you've got a Bible, uh, and there's some dotted out, because we have Bibles, we are that kind of church. Um, it's also on the screen. It could also not be on the screen, but if it's not, there's enough Bibles about that you should be able to see what we're reading from. Today it's Acts chapter 4. We're breaking new ground. Never before in this church have we ever got beyond Acts chapter 3. I feel like there's something to celebrate. <laughs> Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. Here we go. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This morning, I just want to focus in on that verse 2, which says, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the, resur the resurrection of the dead. Peter and John, by what they were saying, the early church, by the way they were living, were causing a great disturbance, particularly towards the powers and the leaders of that day. This message of Jesus and his resurrection, the message of the gospel, um, was an offensive, is an offensive message to the powers and the authorities, particularly of that day, and it caused a great disturbance. Disturbed the Pharisees, the, the, the leaders. They were like, he's not the Messiah, so they had Jesus killed. Disturbed Rome, 
You know, this, this idea that Jesus is the king, he's the risen Lord, that was offensive to Rome because they had a king, they had Caesar. They were ruling the place, not this man, Jesus. And he served the Sadducees, most notably because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So this whole idea of Jesus rising from the dead was utter madness to them. They feared the teaching of the disciples because it challenged their power and it questioned their theology. And so what we have is this crazy disturbance going on amongst the leaders of the day. But then we also have this crippled man, don't we, in Acts chapter 3, whose life has been pretty disturbed. Um, Beforehand, he couldn't walk. Now he can. That is a radical disturbance, I should think, in somebody's life. And so we have this crazy moment in the early church where there is this disturbance going on wherever Christians happen to be. And it's because there is this move of the gospel that is jarring up against the reigning kingdom of the day. The result of that was persecution. So this is when Peter and John encountered jail for the first time. We'll read on in Acts chapter 4. They thought it was wonderful that they'd been put in jail, which was confusing to me, but we'll get to that. And then we also see the growth of the church by a casual 5,000 people. Um, in this moment. So it's quite an exciting moment, but it is a disturbance. And this is what the gospel does. As it moves, it disturbs the status quo. Um, It disturbs the status quo in the human heart, the community, the town, the nation, and the world. This is what the gospel does. And it's because as the gospel moves forward, and as the kingdom of God is established in our very midst, it jars up against the reigning kingdoms and values of our hearts and in our cities as it seeks to renew and restore and establish itself in our midst. And so this is why this disturbance happens, because when you are confronted with the kingdom of God, it's like, oh, that is different to what I hold as a value in my heart. Mostly because most of the time, when you talk about the kingdom of God, it's like this, this movement happens where things are turned you know, upside down, right side up, I suppose. That the values of the kingdom are at odds often with the dominant culture of our day. That's why there is a disturbance that goes on. And so as the gospel of Jesus moves forward... The church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, causes people to notice. They're interrupted from their day-to-day lives. They they look up from what they were doing. They can't help but notice. And so what I'd like to offer to us today, or maybe even challenge us this morning as Christchurch, is if we are not causing a disturbance in our town, there is a problem. Something's not right if we are not causing a disturbance. Our vision as a church, which hopefully most of you know now, is that we long to see the church on fire, full of the Holy Spirit, full of his power and his love. And and our vision, therefore, flowing out of that is to see our town come to life, to see Felton come to fullness of life in Jesus Christ, to live the good life that, that, that can only be found through putting our trust and our obedience in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when the, when, the, when, when the church is full of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a vessel by which Jesus is taken to the streets of our town. And, and as that happens, Jesus brings life to that town, but before that, Jesus brings a disturbance, disturbance in our midst. 
And I think, therefore, one of the markers of the church being on fire, one of the things that we'll be able to know that we are a church on fire and we are a vessel by which the gospel is moving forward is that people in our town are slightly disturbed, in a positive way, I might add, because disturbance is often seen quite negative, but it will be a disturbance of some kind. That would be one of the markers, that there'll be disturbance going on. And I think the church often has a danger, doesn't it, of falling into the trap of believing that it exists for the people that are already here, that it becomes quite inward-focused, that Comfort in some way becomes our God. That if the temperature's right and the croissants are good and we have just the right people here, we're doing a good job. And that's the danger. And then people start to say, well, isn't this, it's quite nice that we're quite small because we can all know each other really easily and I feel really comfortable with that and I don't have to speak to anybody new and that's, you know, sweet. But <laughs> I think that could potentially be a problem. The thing is, if we have the best music in town, the best worship in town, which I think we do, Possibly, possibly the best worship in the earth. <laughs> and if we have the best preaching that the world has ever heard, <laughs> but that's where it starts and that's where it ends. And our worship and our preaching and our time together isn't propelling us to take the name of Jesus to our town and our neighbours and our workmates, then something's not right. And it may be, and this is kind of what's grabbing my heart a little bit, that if, if, we are, if it is not propelling us to be a gospel movement, then maybe we're not actually a church on fire, or maybe it's possible that the gospel hasn't gripped our heart in the way that we thought it had and the reality is, this is what you kind of see when it comes to the gospel, is that the gospel cannot lie silent or dormant. It can't be contained. God's love can't be contained to these four walls. It, 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 it's not like that. It, it moves. It transforms. And so therefore, it's not possible for our church, the church, to be gripped by the gospel, full of the Holy Spirit, and remain silent and inward focused. The gospel, the message of Jesus, is, a, is an agitating force in the world that brings love to the unlovely, it brings peace to the restless, it brings hope to the hopeless, while bringing challenge to selfishness, pride, and injustice. It brings the kingdom of God. It's an agitating force that while it feels painful and it feels like it's jarring, what it's actually doing is it's transforming and purifying, renewing and bringing hope and fullness. But there's that disturbance that we have kind of have to work through before that kind of happens, if that makes sense. And so I wholeheartedly believe that when the gospel of Jesus Christ properly takes hold of the human heart, it causes a tremendous disturbance, firstly within us, and then, as it kind of flows out of us, it causes disturbance for all the people around us. So I'd love to look at just two things about how this disturbance might outwork itself, firstly in our lives, and then secondly, how it might outwork itself as us as a church. Does that sound all right? Good. I always have a little drink. I'm quite jet-lagged, so I'm not really sure what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I do. You never answer that question about the best preaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
A move of the gospel would disturb the human heart and will always call for a response. When we speak of the love of God, we speak of the resurrection, it will cause a disturbance in the human heart. And we read that in Acts chapter 2. If, we, if, if you remember, cast your minds back to last term. When, when there's this move of the Holy Spirit and people start to declare the praises of God in, in all the languages under the sun, um, there is a moment where people respond. Some of them laugh and say that you're drunk. Others get angry at them. And then others say to him, what should we do? Um, those listening, are disturbed. They're, they're disturbed. And I'm trying not to use disturbed as too negative kind of thing. It's like they are, their everyday lives are interrupted. That suddenly what they're doing and what they consider to be the norm um, becomes, oh, what's this? They're disturbed, they're distracted, their, their, their attention is grabbed by what's going on. And so what happens is that we, we then there's this decision moment that happens for these people of being disturbed or distracted or caused to look in that direction. Um, and, and when that happens, it's, it's kind of like the, the Lord kind of gently points um, towards the brokenness and the sin in their hearts and reveals to us that we need saving. And when that happens, then we have, two, we have two kind of responses when that happens. You have the people who, who are immediately like, I'm in. I, you know, I, I'm sensing the call of Jesus. And there are others whose hearts become hardened. And that's what we see at, at this moment in, in Acts chapter 2. That you have a group of people who are like, what should we do? And Peter says, well, repent and believe. And then you have another group of people who, um, who, who make fun of them or they become angry and their hearts are hardened. And I don't know if you have ever felt that kind of hardening of heart um, at that moment of when the Holy Spirit kind of points out an area in your life um, that he wants to speak to you about or he would like you to yield or surrender to him. It might be... Um, a relationship or a behavior or even something that God's calling you that would be costly. And instead of saying yes to the call of God, that call to him, um, you've said no. Or maybe instead of taking an issue to some trusted friends, accountability partners, to the church to help to get help for an area of sin or whatever it might be, you've bottled it. Or maybe even right now there's an area in your life where you've, you've kind of decided the church or God should not speak into that because they do not want to change. And, and often that kind of comes within the kind of God to this world, doesn't it? Like It might be that I'm happy to respond to the gospel, but I'm, don't touch my money. <laughs> or I'm happy to respond to the gospel, but you know my sex life, that's mine. Or I'm happy to respond to the gospel, but I'm not giving up this power that I have. And so um, it, it might be that you yourself, even as you're sitting here, are sensing the ways that you may have hardened your heart when the gospel has gone forward. Um, and, and even this talking now, there's a disturbance going on in you. You're like, oh my goodness, there are some areas still, I thought I dealt with that, there's some areas still that I need to yield and surrender to the Lord. And do you know what? I still sense that happening quite often. Um, that, you know, my pride will get in the way or I won't notice things, you know, or, or whatever it might be. I still feel like that's a big thing that I need the, the Holy Spirit 
um, to kind of reveal to me those areas in my life where I've become hard, where I've said, Lord, you can have my whole life except obviously um, this bit because that's mine. Um, and maybe this morning it's, a, it's another moment of surrender and repentance. Turn the page. Um, so that's kind of, there were two groups at this moment of disturbance. The heart has been, you know, the gospel's moved forward. People have responded. They're like, oh, and there's two options. It's either I'm responding with repentance, where I'm saying, God, I'm turning to you and away from um, what, what, I, what I used to do and the old patterns of life. And then there are others um, who, who have hardened. I think that would be our reality, actually, as a church. But all this to say is that when the gospel moves forward, it will always cause a disturbance in the human fart. In the human fart. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be here for quite a long time. I'm just going to take a second to let the, <laughs> let the mist of the jet lag. <laughs> the gospel will always cause a disturbance in the human heart. And, and, and when, it, when it does that and people yield and surrender and repent and give their life to Jesus, um, that then um, can't be contained in that human heart, but it begins to spread like wildfire. And so the first disturbance that we see happening in Acts chapter 2 is in the hearts of the people who are responding to the gospel. The second disturbance um, is then what happens to that, that heart that has been gripped by God, by Jesus. Um, and, and, and what happens is that the gospel, again, it can't be contained within a Christian. It can't be contained within a church. If, if, if you have been set on fire by the Holy Spirit, and you can't help but share of what you've seen and heard. And that's what the disciples end up saying, right? They say, we can't help but talk about this stuff. What we've seen, we need everybody to know, even if it costs us, even if it causes a disturbance. And so um, this is what I'm really hoping for, I guess, as, as a church and as Christians, that as we respond to the gospel, as we, as, as we allow ourselves to be gripped and as we wholly surrender to the gospel, then we would start to um, be vessels by which the gospel can move from this place. Um, and then it starts to make inroads into our community by what we do, by what we say, the people we speak to, the relationships we build. Um, and uh, that we would see, just as the disciples did, um, this kind of the, these people coming to faith, we, we would suffer probably some persecution, but also we'd have the great joy of seeing people come to faith. And so when we read through Acts, um, we see um, that from that moment in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fills the church, um, there is this movement of the gospel. It causes a massive disturbance. It isn't contained to themselves. They're like, oh, this is amazing. We'll keep this to ourselves. But what happens is it starts to transform the culture around them. And they start to practice radical hospitality. They start to, um, get in, they start to act compassionately. Um, we start to see the emergence of signs and wonders. We see people coming to faith as God interrupts their life with his love and his call. 
And so my hope for, for Christchurch this next term, and actually forever, um, is that we more and more become a church that causes a disturbance in our local area, in our, in our town, as the gospel goes out from this place. And I think we've seen glimpses of that already in the, in the short time we've been here in Felton, our two terms. Um, so like Valentine's Day, um, for those of you who were able to get involved with that, we had that big love sign up on the high street. You know, people were getting on with their everyday lives and they got interrupted by us, um, by asking them a bunch of questions and we gave them some, um, some what did we give them? Love hearts and we painted faces and like we, we caused a disturbance in that moment and used that opportunity to find out where they're aching, tell them that we love them. Um, and this is called, that, they're the types of things that cause a disturbance. When we at Easter, the same thing, you know, we're up on the high street again, we're handing out Easter eggs, people are like in the zone and we're kind of getting in their face and say, hey, and they're like, ah. particularly when I was dressed as a bunny. Um, and so again, it, it caused a disturbance that put um, faith in their minds and gave us an opportunity to chat with people. And I'd love us to up that, actually. I'd love us to be thinking more about what that looks like for us to be up on the high street or in our streets and just causing a disturbance in, in a good way, like serving people, loving people, praying for people, talking to people about Jesus, what we've seen and what we've heard. Um, because we know that you know, there's so many people here in, in our town, and we feel called to this town. That's why we, you know, we, that's why we moved here, because, you know, for Diz and I, when we first got here, we are like, oh, we can see the role that the church could play in this local area. We can see, you know, what Jesus is longing to do in Feltham, and we want to join in with the churches that are already doing ripping stuff here and move, you know, be a part of the story that God is writing in Feltham. And uh, so... I want us as a church to be committed to um, causing a disturbance. And actually, what I'd love us to do is just to kind of crucify, if you like, our desire to be relevant. I remember um, growing up in, in Orange. Our goal as a church, Orange, you know, Australia, famous for its apples. Um, I feel like I've always got to say that. <laughs> orange, you know, orange apples are different fruit, but orange. Anyway, so we... <laughs> We grew up, I grew up in Orange, and our goal was to be relevant. We wanted to do these services that were very similar to nightclubs so that people would come along, and we worked really, really, really hard to be really relevant. And, and what actually happened was that we disturbed nobody because we didn't, we weren't noticed, and, and actually nightclubs did nightclubs way better than the church. And so we, we I long for us to be distinct. I long for us to be representatives of a different way, ambassadors of a different kingdom. Um, and instead of us being shaped by the culture, us be culture shapers. We allow God through us to establish his kingdom, firstly in our hearts and then in our town. That's what I long for. And so I want us to make it our business to cause a disturbance, to do what Jesus did. And not just cause a disturbance, but to be disturbed that's hard to put positively, isn't it? But I, do you know, like, I, I, I was reading on the news just as soon as I got back from Australia, I, I sat down, I opened the paper, and there's this story about Felton and some violence that was happening on the street. And I want us as a church for that to disturb us, for that to upset us, 
for us to be thinking, no, do you know what? That's not how it's meant to be. And for us as a church to be taking Jesus um, into our streets and so on and be a voice of hope, um, to be, you know, when, when we think about like the, even the prison, right? So like just before I left, I was reading another article about how they weren't taking any inmates in anymore because it becomes so violent. So my, my, I get disturbed and upset about that. What can we do about it? Um, and so there are countless opportunities in this town for us to be the church, to be a force of good and to take Jesus into really, really dark and scary places, but knowing that he has the power to disturb the status quo, to turn things upside down, right side up. And so I, I want to be thinking about more, and I want you to be thinking as well. Don't you? Let's all put our heads together and think about what does it look like for us as a church to stand up against the injustice that we see in, the, in these local areas? What does it look like for us as a church to remember and take care of the poor, the prisoner, the orphan, the widow, the outsider? And you know, how well are we doing that right now? How well are we taking care of the people on the margins who have been forgotten about it? You know, I know that from the Salvation Army um, minister around the corner that there are countless refugees in Felton. You know, what role do we have to play in, the, in, in these kinds of things? You know, so I think that, you know, as this disturbance in our heart happens, we will cause a disturbance in our town, and it will be a good disturbance. It will bring about transformation. It will be one where, you know, we'll agitate, we'll stir things up. People might not like it, other people might like it, but we know that when Jesus goes forward, he transforms situations and towns and all sorts of things, and it will be ripping. And so I think this is, this is a good place for us to start um, right at the beginning of this next ac academic year. Um, I don't want us to be, you know, get five years down the track, close to church, and everyone was like, you know, around it, you know, they just assumed the church was still closed. Um, it, 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 we want to be making disturbance, just as the disciples did in Acts chapter 4, because that is what the gospel does. It is a marker that we are full of the Holy Spirit. It is a marker that the gospel is going out from this place if it is causing a disturbance. So I'd love us to get creative. I'd love us to be um, courageous. I think when you think about causing a disturbance, it's not for the faint of heart, is it? You know, it's the type of thing you're like, oh, that feels a bit scary. But I think that's what the Lord is calling us to in this place. And uh, just to finish, there was, there's this one prayer that, we, that you, you've probably heard before um, by Sir Francis Drake that's all about disturbance. Hold on one second. I've got it in my phone as a picture, and at the moment there's a picture of Dizzy's toes that she's painted red. And that feels irrelevant at the moment. So the prayer of St. Francis Drake, which some of you have heard, but let me pray it over us, and then we'll have some time to worship and to um, maybe allow God to disturb us again. This is the prayer. Disturb us, Lord. When we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, when we have arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of the things we possess, we have lost our thirst 
the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of the land. We shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes, to push us into future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Why don't we stand?